Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Once upon a December. Right before we sat down to start recording, BJ was like, anybody ever talk about how Once Upon a December and like that song from Hocus Pocus are like the exact same song? Look, Come Little Children sounds so much like Once Upon a December. Like they're not like a one-to-one. I don't think anyone ripped anyone off in this situation. No, but they're both just remarkably similar, ominous met lullabies. Yeah, like they're both very beautiful, but then you sit with them and you're like, wait a second. Yeah. You sound like you're going to lure someone to their death. It's been a long December. <laughs> that one's way worse. <laughs> are you are you hating on the Counting Crows? Mm, just that song. Uh, but they're accidentally in love. Okay. Mr. Jones is allegedly about his penis. Okay. <laughs> is it really? Uh, that There's a rumor that that's a thing, but it's probably not true. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That Shows what I pay attention to. I mean, my mom liked Counting Crows a lot. That's that the reason I know a lot about this, Counting Crows. This tracks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, prom party. We are talking about Anastasia. It's been a while since we have done an animated film that was not anime um or very very anime-ish yeah like turning red is very anime-ish uh the last unicorn basically anime yeah not anime but practically anime. yeah (laughs) so we decided you know what once upon a december it feels festive enough it's snowy it's snowy half this movie is snowy it's a little snowy yeah i mean my face surely knows that it's december right now because i am dry i am moisturizing constantly and it does not matter well, when you move to los angeles the heat doesn't get you because it's a dry heat yeah well you know what, what? It's, it's a dry cold too it's dried out my it's face dreadful the i feel like a cold. snake oh my god i like i'm lotion like i lotion my hands like 20 times a day yeah it's so fucking dry this year i feel like if i smile i will crumble i'll just crack gross yeah yeah you're gonna crumble like christopher lloyd at the end of this movie yeah Absolutely. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we are talking about Anastasia, a film that I know so many of you are very excited about because I posted about it on Sunday and I don't know, within like an hour there was like 50 people like, yeah, Anastasia. So yes, we hope you enjoy this conversation we're about to have. Yeah. <laughs> so Harmony, what is your relationship with Anastasia? I feel like our hardcore listeners already know your feelings about like Disney animated features and Don Bluth and that whole situation. But Michael Mouse and I don't don't generally get along. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Bluth, ugh, we'll get to Don Bluth. Uh-huh. I love I love Don Bluth, but also <laughs> there's there there's some there's put, some, a pin, put a pin in that. There's some Disney disease involved in his later works, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, 
This was a movie that a girl who lived down the street from me, her name was Breezy. I don't know what her real name was. That was just what everyone called her. And I, in my, in my current adult life, there's plenty of friends that I have where I'm like, they have a nickname. And I'm like, oh, what's their (laughs) real name? (laughs) It's me. I don't even know most of my friends' last names. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't. Did, when you were growing up, did you have to like, were your parents really insistent about knowing your friends being like, what's their name? What's their last name? No. What are their parents' names? No, that was just information that I wanted because I was neurotic and still am, which is why if you ever go through my phone, the only people in my phone who have like cute nicknames are my family, where it's like Papa Colangelo, Mommy Dearest. My sister, I think, is Baby Ginge because she's a redhead. Mm -hmm. Everyone else, first name, last name. I need to know who I'm talking about. I mean business. Am I first name, last name? No, I think you're wifey. <laughs> okay, see, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, you're fam. Okay, well, th- th- thank you. But um, yeah, no, that was a thing my parents were always really insistent about, and I've never in my whole life been good about it. But I knew this movie because of her, because she was very into what I would consider d- not Disney Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Stuff that was either um, the Don Bluth alternative to Disney mm-hmm. or something that is kind of a Don Bluth ripoff. Mm-hmm. Like, because, ha- like, like Happily Ever After, a film we'll probably talk about one day just so I can make you watch unhinged, not Snow White, Snow White. Maybe. Like, it was just one of those things where you have to sit there and go, no, but Balto is not Bluth. Right. Balto feels like Bluth. It's like, why is the dog weirdly sexy? <laughs> that is absolutely a Bluthism. Right, where all the animals seem like they kind of want to fuck. A little bit. Like, it feels very Bluth, but it's not right. in a way that it feels more directly like we're trying to be a Don Bluth movie, not trying to be a Disney movie. Yeah. But it all trickles down from Disney. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was very aware of Anastasia as well as, like, Rockadoodle mm-hmm. and, and, and Balto and all of these other films that we will talk about a bit more once we get to context. What's your history with this film? All right, so... What's very weird is that I remember watching Anastasia a lot as a kid, but I am a Disney kid, um, and I own that, love that. If y'all want to hear me scream about Disney, I did uh, some some guest some guesting over on the Screen Drafts podcast, and we drafted of uh, the 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 top twenty six, I believe it was, yeah, top twenty six of the sixty two Disney animated features. Um, or 61, because we didn't include Wish. But um, so you can go over and hear those thoughts if you'd like. But I watched Anastasia because this is also, you know, the the movie that the poor kids could afford because it looks like Disney, but it's not Disney. So that meant it was cheaper than Disney if mm-hmm. you were buying it at Sam's Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this very strange moment while we were doing this rewatch where I realized that growing up, we called my grandmother uh who passed away about a year ago rest her soul we called her grandmama growing up and i just thought that was like a cute thing and then we were watching anastasia this time around i was like oh my god that's where she got it from that's why she wanted us to call her grandmama because my grandma loved angela lansbury and i I remember love angela lansbury that's a great point who doesn't but i also remember watching anastasia with my grandma because this is one of those like your grandparents bought this movie and thought it was a disney movie for your kids that's where i watched it and Mm -hmm. like a lot of a lot of things connected for me um but also it's like a granddaughter being united with her grandma story so of course your grandma's gonna love that yeah definitely and it was just like a very kind of like oh 
I'm going to cry about this a little bit real oh, yeah. quick. <laughs> no, there was a point where I was just like, I had to like put, extended my hand being like, do you need to hold hands? And you go, no, I'm okay. No, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'll be fine. I don't need you to hold my hand. I just want to cry about how much I miss my grandma real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that that's my, my rough history with Anastasia. I know a lot of people are really, really hardcore about Anastasia. Um, I was never quite at that level, but Far I- Far more than the people who were hardcore about Swan Princess and were yeah. not happy that I was not super nice to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, so I was never like quite that hardcore, but I've never disliked Anastasia. I've never been on that train. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I've got going on here. But if somehow you've not seen Anastasia, uh, here is your synopsis. The last surviving child of the Russian royal family joins two con men to reunite with her grandmother, the Dowager Empress, while the undead Rasputin seeks her death. Mm-hmm. So this is loosely and by loosely i mean like this it's, it's is based a, much more on urban legends than the actual yeah, reality of everything is, this is a, a a stretched rubber band that is not holding anything in yes but based on the house of romanov who is like the house of romanov they are they're real people and mm-hmm. it was a royal family and they were all brutally murdered um and for many many years there was this rumor that their daughter anastasia somehow survived and she was out there and it became this like urban legend thing she died like that's awful and it's terrible she died in that this urban legend is boring if she died bj i know it's way more interesting (laughs) it's way more interesting if she really was alive and there was this you know princess just like out there uh so the movie is based on that urban legend so if you're looking for a history podcast about oh, Anastasia that's Romanoff. We're, we're, we're playing no. by the Marie Antoinette rules that we did like a month ago mm-hmm. um, where we're just, we're not a history podcast. We'll nope. bring it up when it's convenient, but we're mostly talking about the movie. Yep. Uh, and the same thing goes with like Rasputin, like the, the lore that they're playing with, with him in we're this movie. We're not going to be talking about how he allegedly had a huge hog. <laughs> no, we're not. But <laughs> We might bring up Boney M a few times. <laughs> oh, we're absolutely bringing up Boney M a few times. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, so they're dealing with a lot of like like folklore around historical figures. And mm-hmm. you know what? I think that that's fine. I think that that works for this story that they're trying to tell because you're marrying like a little bit of reality, a little bit of magic. Like I I get it. They're kind of taking a similar approach that like Disney did with Pocahontas. Uh-huh. But it's a little less offensive in this one. Uh-huh. But that's that's the 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 game we're playing here with uh with Daddy Bluth. Yes. So let's let's dive into a little bit of the, that 90s animation context here. Oh, yeah. I actually have a quote that I wanted to kick off with because I really liked it. Um, it's from an article at Cartoon Research uh, as part of something that they have called Animation Celebration, which I think is very cute because my column at Slashman was Animation Celebration, but they separate it with like Animation Cell, which I think is very cute. Um, but it says, Don Bluth remembered when a wake-up call came for animation. It happened around an American tale, and that woke up the sleeping giant, said Bluth in a 1997 interview. Disney had made The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and suddenly they got very interested in their competition, which made them try even harder. In that effort, they did something that put a sparkle on the water. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Absolutely. Like, we had so many animated movies in the 90s, and, you know, of varying quality. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there, like the aforementioned Swan Princess fans, who are who are uh, very aggressive about defending their childhood movies, because mm-hmm. it was 
it's one of the ones you had on VHS. You have a lot of fondness for it. BJ's a big defender of the Page Master, and that I movie love is the Page Master. Just fine. I love. One of these days, that horror book is getting tattooed on my body. I'm fine with and that. You're gonna have to look at it. That's fine all the time. I mean, I like a lot of things about the Page Master. I think the movie's just fine. That's fine. Um, That's fine. We're, we're, let, let's talk about Don Bluth and the fact that like Bluth in the '80s, dude was like on fire. Yeah. Bluth in the '90s. Mmm, we we get the, the quality dips quite a bit. You get a lot more trolls in Central Park, Rockadoodle, Titan AE. People like to defend Titan AE. Oh, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Also, the really bad trailer that had Creed in it around the time. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That was a thing. Um, yeah, I just Bluth Bluth got really into like vaguely scary stuff mm-hmm. that just was not like like the villain who's the evil penguin in the penguin in the pebble where it's like he's scary he doesn't really fit with this movie why is that penguin so ominous mm-hmm. but i don't know why is that penguin so ominous like he's a scary fucking penguin i know but just the way you presented that made me laugh <laughs> yeah but like you have to think disney in the 80s not a good time for Disney. No, Disney, rough, rough pumpkin. Disney didn't really know what to do post Walt dying, period. Mm-hmm. And so there was like a lot of mediocre films uh, commercially and critically during that period. And a few sparks of, of, of brilliance, like The Rescuers or The Great Mouse Detective prior to like The Little Mermaid happening. Okay, before the Renaissance. Like, yes. Th- people forget all the time, especially people in our age group, because a lot of us were children when the Renaissance happened. So Disney has always been remarkable and magical and perfect and oh of course they're the greatest entertainment super house that you could even imagine but like before our childhood disney like almost like the black cauldron almost killed that company the they black almost cauldron died was really expensive like <laughs> yeah. way too expensive and yeah. it's and again that's a movie that people will be like i love the black cauldron it's my favorite and i'm like you know what you're allowed to think that i think the black cauldron is Flawed but interesting. It's the it's the question that we have with every movie that we cover here. Is this movie actually good or were we just 12? Yeah. So like that happens a lot. But Bluth in the 80s, Bluth in the 80s scared Disney. Mm-hmm. Because between the trifecta of Secret of Nim, American Tale, and Land Before Time. Oh, God, Dude yeah. was cranking out successful, acclaimed films. And ones that are genuinely, genuinely good. Yes. So once you get to the 90s, it is what it is. But I... I think it's really fascinating to look at how the alternative to Disney that you get during this period is purely based on accessibility, mm-hmm. mostly. Because, like, Anastasia made money. It cost somewhere around the tune of $50 million, had roughly the same budget as Pocahontas. Uh, I think it made about three times that in mm-hmm. returns at the box office. Most of these other films, like Balto or The Page Master or what have you, did not make money. No, they did not make money. They, they hurt. However, they did extremely well in rental and video markets. Yes. That is the thing that cannot be understated when we talk about any of like the non-Disney animated films is that they usually made just bananas money in home video markets. Well, that's why there's a billion Land Before Time and Swan Princess movies. Mm-hmm, because that's where they thrive. Them. So... What happens then is you, you're basically operating in tiers here, which is you have Disney with all their movies locked behind the Disney vault, and they only get released at like this premium Disney clamshell that people were convinced 10 years ago was worth gold because mm-hmm. there were a bunch of like Yahoo articles that said, look, are your Pokemon cards or Disney clamshell VHSs worth money? The secret was no, they weren't. But 
Disney basically made their brand seem like the premium brand in comparison to all of like these cheap imitators out there. That's how they were separating themselves from all of the Bluths and other like children's animated films that were existing. And because they were the premium, that meant that people could afford all of the ones that we're talking about now. Definitely. And so this comes out in 1997. And this is the same year that like a decent number of films that people I think really like, even though they're a little bit undersung. Mm -hmm. So this also gives us Cats Don't Dance. Cats Don't Dance is criminally underrated. The like, oh, yeah, I love Cats Don't Cats Dance. Cats Don't Dance holds up like this isn't like, oh, I watched it when I was 10. It's like, no, I've watched it as an adult. And it is unfortunately buried behind the fact that it has not gotten a re-release since like 2002 on DVD. Yeah. And so another important thing, too, is that animated movies take infinitely longer to make than mm -hmm. live action films. So you kind of need to look at a window and not necessarily the same year because yeah. they're all in production at the same time. Yep. Because then the following year, three more studios debut hand-drawn efforts. So Warner Bros. did uh, Quest for Camelot. Oof. Nickelodeon released the Rugrats movie. And DreamWorks released The Prince of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And all of these are hand-drawn. Prince hand -drawn. of Egypt did very well. Rugrats, I believe, was one of the... I believe Rugrats was the first non-Disney animated movie to make like over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, in the it's States. it's something. It basically broke the bank on this whole thing. I think it's a little bit more than that because Anastasia ended up bringing in like a hundred and forty million globally. Okay. Um. So it yeah it did really really well. Um. But all of these movies obviously were in production for a very very long time, and then what comes out while all of these movies are in production is Pixar. Mm -hmm. So you get the one-two punch of Toy Story and A Bug's Life, and so it's like, okay, uh, animation is gonna start shifting here. Um, you're gonna get Shrek in a few more years. So the Prince land of Egypt made like $300 million. Yeah, Prince, Prince of Egypt, Egypt made so, so much, money. much money, and like I had to watch it a lot in youth group. I'm not surprised. No, of course. Why would you be surprised? Even though we were <laughs> Lutheran and like we really like to cherry pick our Old Testament stories. Yeah. It's uh so animation is kind of changing. So Anastasia is also this like I don't want to say like weird hybrid because that's not super what it is, but there's like a lot of hand-drawn 2D stuff, but then there's like very primitive like CG animation in here that looks kind of nuts sometimes. I, I, you know what? Let's let's just talk about that for okay, a second. Okay, we'll talk about the animation style, yeah. I don't like how this movie looks. I know you don't. It's, I know you hate it's it. It's <laughs> got it's got money. It's got effort put behind it. I think that this is the kind of thing that a bunch of children aren't going to notice. And especially in the 90s, we were like dazzled by early CG, which I think there is a charm to like fairly primitive animation um, like that. Like I think like there's a lot of um, video games coming out now that have like retro PS1 graphics and the PS1 is pretty notoriously crusty looking <laughs> for its graphics. Mm -hmm. um, but Anastasia bothers me not because of the CG. It bothers me because they're throwing so many things at it. Mm -hmm. Where like you have these beautiful, like when they're in Paris or when they're singing that like if I can do it, you can do it dance where they're like these backgrounds that look like oil paintings that are stunning. Oh, they're gorgeous. But you then have these characters that are rotoscoped if they're important. And mm -hmm. then all the background characters where it's like, well, they're they're not so rotoscoped. Yeah. They have maybe a little more cartoony proportions, a little more weird faces. They're clearly animated. They're not rotoscoped. So then these characters are moving at different rates. Yeah. You have the rotoscoped characters having different line work. So when they're interacting with like the puppy, the puppy has thicker line work and moves differently. Um, because they're rotoscoped, they're doing this thing that a lot of films of this type do where they're overly gesturing and they're leaning in and out and doing a lot of very dramatic, like sweeping hand talking that a lot of the later Ralph Bashke films were criticized for. Mm -hmm. um, you have the CG that looks 
pretty bad these days where mm-hmm. like Rasputin's interacting with his random death becomes her juice <laughs> vial thing. Or yeah, like, that he's just carrying around. Or the music box or like the train, the vehicles. Like they have these sweeping shots uh, for certain scenes where it's like, man, remember when Beauty and the Beast had that ballroom shot that was CG, but the characters were hand drawn? We're going to do a lot of that. Yeah. And it's just too many different art styles colliding. And it just looks too chaotic. And like, I understand why they're doing it. There's a certain element of spectacle that you can get with having CG that allows you to do more with the metaphorical camera. Mm -hmm. I get that. Rotoscoping helps you keep the cost down. And like, this is already a pretty pricey animated film for the 90s. Like we're on like up towards the top echelon of what you can get away with and feasibly hope to make money. Mm -hmm. Um, Rotoscoping helps keep that more affordable because you don't have to do as much like cleanup and line work. You're basically just tracing. Yeah. So like, that's good. I like that. Um, It means the mouth movements are a little wonky sometimes. The eyes get a little wonky sometimes too. Oh my God. Um, I think that's why they use that one shot of Anastasia in the hat in the snow. Because That's the shot of the movie where she's always it's going. Because oh? it's one of the it's one of the few times where like she's looking dead towards what the you know what is the proverbial camera. Yeah, and her eyes aren't a little wonky. Yeah, um, Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer as Vladimir. There's definitely some moments where I'm like, oh, your teeth, your mm-hmm. eyes are really beady, and your teeth are like like kind of horse teeth. You know when te- <laughs> you know when a horse is about to bite an apple and like they pull their lips back and their teeth look like they're pulling out like an alien. His teeth get a little like that sometimes. I'm like, ah, oh, just. I don't like looking at that. <laughs> and like, I actually like him as a character design. People always made fun of Bluth for being like, Bluth only knows how to draw one type of woman and one type of man. No, he has two types of men, this guy and the fat mouse dad from American Tale. Yes. But also, there's Sophie in this. She's a, like, a bu- like a buxom, awesome fat lady played by mm-hmm. Bernadette Peters. Yeah, she's so great. So like, he can draw more than one woman. Thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, I just, the animation style does not work for me. And... I I also was on screen drafts recently to r- go ahead and draft uh, all of the Ralph Bashke films with uh, William Bibiani and Clay was there. I love Clay. Love Bibbs. They're great. I think that you can get away with having like some imperfect animation, some kind of like ugly rotoscoping if mm-hmm. you're not trying to be so sweeping and magical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're trying to be so polished and pristine and like, you know, tr- basically like rocky trying to take down apollo creed like you're a little out of your weight class when you're trying to take down disney in the 90s mm-hmm. but if anybody could have done it it was bluth mm-hmm. but you're just you're just not in that weight class mm-hmm. and trying to out disney disney you're just not gonna do it mm-hmm. especially when so many things they do in this movie are so clearly disney disney knockoffs <laughs> like there's so many shots where it's like, come on, that's just Disney. Yeah. Like there's a dream sequence early on when Anastasia just turns into like she transforms into a magical dress. I'm like, that's just Cinderella. That's just <laughs> the Cinderella dress scene. Like there's so many of these things. God damn it. And the thing is, it's like even more obvious to me now that I've seen Wish, which regardless of how people feel about the movie, I know you haven't seen it yet, mm-hmm. but there is so much like love lettering to Disney's animation of the way that she moves. And like there are different scenes where it's like, that's Pocahontas. That's Cinderella, that's mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland. And she does do the arm transformation thing like Cinderella. And then I see that in Anastasia and I was like, oh man, it is just real obvious some, now. We literally open it with Angela Lansbury, Mrs. Potts as grandma <laughs> narrating the opening of this movie. There are so many things in this movie where it's like, 
yeah, we're just going for that Disney money. And like, and like that's fine. I'm not going to knock you for that. I love that. There's a lot of money going around. Like, we see it a lot in, like, horror communities um, where grown-ass adults will throw a lot of favor onto mediocre films just because they want more of something. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, I just, I love a movie where a girl in a tank top fights some sort of large aquatic monster. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to really prop up this kind of meh film because this is a specific flavor I want more of. Right. Like for kids in the nineties. Yeah. You want more stuff that tastes like the thing that you're familiar with. You want more of the Disney. I get, I get why it looks the way it does because that's how you produce a movie on a budget. Mm-hmm. I get why it's so Disney. Because they needed a slam dunk, mm-hmm. especially because a lot of the Bluth movies around this period made some money, but not like box office money, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the front lines of getting your like your exposure out there to these kids mm-hmm. and making it look like it's, you know, the big time. Mm-hmm. I get all that. So uh, <laughs> people are probably sitting there just being like really like real tense. People are probably really tense. Fe- listen, I don't dislike Anastasia, but I feel like some people are probably like really feeling really attacked about loving this movie. And like, I'm not trying to knock you for that. That's fine. Cause I'm on their side on this one. But before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hey there, prom party. Congrats. We've all made it to the end of the year. Somehow. <laughs> Over on the Patreon this month, for the month of December, we get we got some fun stuff. We always have fun stuff, but it's festive fun stuff. We're talking toys for the Sadie Hawkins dance with small soldiers, and the seasonally appropriate and ridiculously strongly casted Diner by Barry Levinson. For the musical milestones, we're talking about the, the song of the season, All I Want for Christmas is You, and just Mariah's consistent rise as the most powerful Christmas force on the planet. And we are finishing up the four final episodes of My So-Called Life. Uh, You're going to get that in two parts, just because condensing four hours of TV into one episode just is not going to do them justice. In addition to all of the bonus episodes, we have the monthly playlist, this time themed around some of the best tracks of the year, in my opinion. Um, but it's not totally all of my favorites, just because a lot of them are things that I've put in other playlists or plugged at the end of the episodes, and I don't want it to just be, like, super redundant. In addition to all of that, you get BJ's monthly newsletter, access to the suggestion box, and, of course, the ever-growing and extensive back catalog of things we have available on the Patreon Especially this time of year, more than ever, if you're not able to financially support the podcast, we totally understand. Just share us with anybody who you think might enjoy what we do. Leave us a rating if you haven't already. And, like, give us some comments. Like, be, let us know if you're excited about future episodes. Let us know how you feel about the current episodes. Like, we love seeing how enthusiastic everyone is about, you know, the what, what we're putting out in the world. So, with all that said, thank you so much. Back to the movie. Alrighty, so I want to talk about Anastasia slash Anya as a character. character. I love Anya. I'm a little less thrilled with Anastasia. Like, I really don't care about her as a princess. That's precisely how I feel about this, where I was thinking about this as we're watching the movie, and they're, like, at the party. She's getting her tiara. They're doing all these things. And I'm, like, thinking over the question that you ask every episode, which is, how do you feel about the titular role? (laughs) And I'm like... I I don't think I like her as much as the movie goes on. 
Mm-hmm. Like, okay, for, for, for comparison here, um, arguably my favorite classic Legend of Zelda game is The Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. And in that game, you uh, you end up meeting a pirate. Her name is Tetra. You go on an adventure across the open seas. You could be a fucking pirate. That's great. Love that. Spoiler alert for this game that's like 20 years old, 22 years <laughs> old. Um, you find out that Tetra is actually like the lineage of Princess Zelda, like halfway through the game. And then she just sits in a room with like a makeover and a dress and then does pretty much nothing until the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what this feels like, where it's like, oh, no, she's like sassy. She's a go-getter. Like, she's going out there and doing things. Like, she's in way more action-y moments than a lot of Disney princesses ever were. Mm-hmm. Um, like, sh- she does things. I like Anya. But then she starts to learn more that she's Anastasia. And she's been Anya for 10 years. Like, her whole last 10 years of her life was this is who she is. And now she's like, well, but what about the me that was there when I was, like, five? <laughs> to, like, what about eight? What about what about that version of me that was, like, really curated and preened by the royal family? Mm-hmm. And then she starts to lose her identity. And I don't like that. Like, sure, she gets the final stomp on, like, the weird 3D CG skull canister thing. Yeah, yeah. She, get, she gets to do that. She also but, she also gets to slap a bitch, which yeah. I like. I love like because it's also she's in like that beautiful gown and she just whap. It's great. Yeah, I mean I like that. I just feel like I, I feel like I the parts of her I like the most become fewer as the movie goes on. Yeah, especially once the romance starts to take over. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I love Anya as a character. I love that she is such a go-getter. I I also just love the way that she carries herself. Like she slouches. Like she's not constantly like shoulders back, chest out. Like mm-hmm. she slouches on the train. She's her imperfect. hair falls in her face. She's imperfect in a way that like Disney princesses are not allowed to be imperfect, especially yeah. in the very homogenized way where a lot of them tend to look very, very, very similar. Mm-hmm. How, how we draw them, we like a uniform look for the Disney princesses, so they all look nice in a lineup together. Yes. So I really, really like the way that they present her. I also think that Meg Ryan is doing a really good job. I think Meg, Meg Ryan's really, honestly, I think the whole voice cast is good for this. I do too. Cusack sounds too old. A um, little bit. But everyone else is is great, and Cusack's doing the best he can. That's just what his voice sounds like. Right. But, like, I think Meg Ryan's really good in this. I think so, too. I think she's very, very delightful. Um, I think that there's so much personality to her, and, like, she feels like an attainable princess, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, a lot of the other she's princesses. She's a rustic princess? Yeah. But, like, not for, like, she's not a servant of, like, a family, so she's, like, a, a whiff away from getting invited to a fancy party or something. Right. Like, if it wasn't because of, you know, the con men and this, like, rumor and what have you, like, she would just live the rest of her life this way. Mm. And that's kind of cool. Like, I can get down with that girl. Mm-hmm. It is when, you know, she starts learning more about herself. And it's like, yes, I am very glad she gets to have the reunion. I'm this glad is a movie she about gets finding to... your family. Yeah. I understand the moral of it. Like, But it's also about finding your identity because ultimately she decides, like, now we're eloping by. So, like, she does still take control of her identity, which I think is great. Like, I love that it ends with her not just being like, I'm a princess now. This is my new royal life. Oh, yeah. She's I would still have in quite control. disliked that. Yeah. I, oh, I think I, I think I would have hated this movie if that's how this would have ended. Yeah. But the fact that she does leave and the fact that we, when we do see her again, like, yes, she has this, like, very beautiful dress on, but her hair is messy again. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like, those little touches 
are what really make me love this character. I love this character a lot more than I love this movie as a whole. I would agree with that. Um, Because I think that she's just really, really well done. I think she's complex. Um, Like, of course, I've used the gif of her being like, men are such babies, like, so many times. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of great stuff in here. I just, like, ultimately, I think there's a lot of, like, disjointed elements. Um, No shade, Bartok. I love you. I don't know why you're here. Bartok is there so that we can have some trailer shots of him just being like a very Jewish bat. Yeah, Hikazari being like the most Russian Jewish bat. Well, I was watching this and I was like, no one else has an accent. Is Bartok Jewish? And I was like, oh, Hikazaria is. is, So yes. Because no one else in this Russian movie speaks with an accent. Yeah, there's like there's like slight every once in a while you'll get like a like a whiff of like a dropped vowel sound, but like no, it's just it's mostly just Hank Azaria being Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria just doing voice stuff because I mean he's the most voice actory person in this lineup. Totally. No one no one else had really. Everyone done else an is like a, is like a yet. like a actor actor and like that's not to say Hank Azaria's not an actor. He is an actor, but like he His does career voice is built work. off of voice. Yeah. So like yeah, I mean I don't know why Bartok is here. Honestly, I feel I mean, like it's because Disney has their sidekicks. Like yeah. the, he, this is the Iago of this movie. I well the thing that's weird about him is like he's not in that much of this movie and yet he got a spinoff. Which is where wild. he's like a magician or something, right? Yeah, there's um there's an a review from Owen Gleiberman at Entertainment Weekly, and he said Anastasia has the Disney house style down cold. The musical numbers that sound like mid sixties Broadway, the gorgeous stately psychedelic backgrounds, the funky beasties nattering on in the sidelines, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like no, that's a hundred percent it. Like it really, this is why this movie more than any other you know, non-Disney animated movie got confused for Disney. And I mean, now oh, yeah. it, now, now it it's is on Disney plus because everyone, Disney bought Fox. Everyone was freaking out just being like, Anastasia finally gets to be a Disney princess. And it's like, well, yeah, but not the, the official canon. <laughs> yes, of course. Look, I think we got off on the wrong foot. Well, I think we did too. Okay. But I appreciate your apology. Apology? Who said anything about an apology? I was just saying Please, that d- we... Don't talk anymore, okay? It's only going to upset me. Fine. I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet if you will. All right, I'll be quiet. Fine. 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 You think you're going to miss it? Miss what? You're talking? No. Russia. Nope. But it was your home. It was a place I once lived. End of story. Well, then you must plan on making Paris your true home. What is it with you and homes? Well, for one thing, it's something that every normal person wants. And for another thing, it's a thing where you... What? You know... Oh, forget it! Fine. (gasps) Thank goodness it's you. Just please remove him from my sight. What have you done to her? Me? It's her. Ha! But I like this character. Honestly, I like all of these characters. Um, I think I think Dimitri and Anastasia, or, or Anya, mm-hmm. as she has most of the movie, I, 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 I kind of buy them as like a couple. Oh, yeah? definitely. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so while we're talking about Dimitri, one of my colleagues over at Slash Film, Caroline Madden, wrote an article about why Dimitri is the best animated love interest. All right, present this argument, because right. I, don't, I don't know if I fully believe that, but I don't have better answers off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, so for one, she likes that he has, like, warm, familiar voice, because it's Cusack, like, he sounds like a human, he doesn't sound like... A Disney prince. Yeah. He sounds like a man. Yeah. Which I do agree with that. I do think that Cusack just sounds like Cusack to me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, his voice is so distinct that it doesn't sound like a character. It just sounds like, that's John Cusack. Yeah. But I I, I get this point. Yes, totally. 
But she says, Anastasia naturally drew comparisons to Disney, but one of the things that the film does better is craft a sharply written dynamic and a downright swoon-worthy love interest. A lot of the Disney princes, such as Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid, Prince Charming from Cinderella, or the nameless prince in Snow White, don't have much of a personality. They are bland, generically handsome men who immediately sweep the princesses off their feet. Dimitri is different, a unique mix of sarcastic, brave, and tender that makes him a really great character. He isn't a flawless prince, he's got a dark agenda before meeting Anya, but Anastasia draws out their love story. Making viewers wait on bated breath, Anya and Dimitri transform from animosity to love while they undergo personal changes. It's a believable romance that doesn't fit the fairy tale mold. And so I agree with that. Um, she then goes on to talk about how they have like a lot of animosity at the beginning. Like he even oh, yeah. calls her a skinny little brat. I point. love it when they bicker. I do too. But like Dimitri is not a prince. I mean, he's not a prince, period. I mean, but, he's like, a con man. Well, yes. But like in terms of like a, a, a prince charming type romance option, we would see more of like a debonair con man in like Princess and the Frog or Tangled or mm-hmm. this kind of guy years later but at Mm -hmm. this point it's just kind of like i don't know stand there and look pretty yeah kind of i mean and he's also got this like there's like the like the bad boy kind of streak to him but he's not really a bad like i mean he's a con artist so yes he's a a bad boy like aladdin kind of i feel so bad that we just are talking about disney so much in this movie but like i know you You have have to to. with this movie specifically you have to talk about disney yeah it just is part of it yeah you're you're totally right but i like that the relationship that they have does start out with them kind of bickering and quarreling because I don't know. What is the expression that like you're kind of the meanest of the people you love the most? Yeah. And that's kind of what we see. Like they're constantly at each other and like bickering and teasing each other. But it's not done so with malice. Like there is a love behind it. I don't know, maybe, maybe they're just a little too similar and they annoy each other. Th- that's really what it is. Like they're extremely similar. So they are. But butting they, they don't want to admit that they're similar because I'm like, oh, I don't like you. But I'm like, oh. Fuck, this is exactly what I'm like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're kind of getting that like mirrored relationship where it's exactly what you said. Like you you see the the qualities in them that are like annoying you, but really you're recognizing that you're getting annoyed by yourself, mm-hmm. which then in turn a lot of times then turns into attraction. Yeah. Well, especially because you have to keep in mind, like we don't see as much of it because there's a time jump in this, but like she's been in an orphanage. He's basically just been on the street trying to, you know, swindle his way into to glory and riches. Mm-hmm. These are people who are not really having time to interrogate themselves. They're just trying to get by. Oh yeah, they're in survival mode. Yeah, so like that's kind of a that's kind of a thing that gets that gets paved over because we just don't spend much time on in that chunk of their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But when when she makes the decision to elope, like he's the one who's even like. You're royalty. This is your life. And kind of like accepts that defeat of, yeah, she's not going to be with me. Like my feelings need to take a back seat. This is this is her destiny. This is yeah. her fate, whatever, whatever. And like that's a very big thing for him to be able to admit mm-hmm. is to just be like, no, uh, this I am not the priority here. And like that's a that's a lot. And the fact Didn't that even take the money. Yeah. And like he ends up with the girl anyway. Like that's a good that's a good guy. Yeah. That's that's a good boy. I, I appreciate that. I think this is one of those things where it's like, 
we 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 see her get like a taste of the Paris and all of that, the taste of the life she could have had, and it's just like ah, I'm not gonna not gonna do that. That's still part of me, but I'm not gonna do that, which I do love. This is one of those situations where it's like. I wish we could have gotten a sequel with them, but I know that during this era, it would not have been good. Oh, there's no, no, it would have been bad. Oh, no, there's no universe where this is, where this is a good thing. Cause they're just going to like take all of these nuanced little approaches and just being like, what if we suck all of that out and make it really low budget? Mm -hmm. Um, Cause we saw that with every direct to video sequel, Mm -hmm. like fucking secret of NIM two is terrible. Yeah. Like, this isn't purely a Disney problem. This is just an animated direct-to-video sequel problem for the most part. Like, yes, there are good examples you can point to during this era, but most of them are mediocre to bad. Yeah. No, you're you're totally right. And I don't wanna I don't wanna continue like <laughs> hyping up an animated man a little bit too much. But the one thing that I will always give Dimitri above and beyond any of these sort of relationships is that um so are you familiar with like how bananas people have been about Rachel Zegler and Snow White comments. Uh, they've been jerks, right? Like everyone just absolutely hates Rachel Zegler for some reason. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people hate Rachel Zegler for a number of reasons. A lot of people think she has just like really cringy theater kid energy, which to that I always say like you need to heal the harm of the Rachel Berries in your life. Yeah. Like please grow She's up. She's a real. She is a real life Disney princess. Come She's on. She's so talented. She is, she is exactly what you want out of a Disney princess. She is so unbelievably talented, and like some people are also just straight up racist. Let's just you know call well, that for what it is. Yes. Um. But she's playing Snow White in the live action and she's been you know getting asked about it and like it's really early on in the promotion for this because of like the pandemic and strikes and whatnot so she had like her talking points aren't aren't down yet so yeah sometimes the way she talks about it is not like the like the the most encouraging but I like that she's critical where she's just like yeah our version of Snow White is not about her like wanting to have a prince and fall in love like she's this 100 year old version of Snow White right she's like no she's gonna make her own destiny it kind of sounds like it's the character's gonna be more of like ever after which I'm very Mm. into I think that's great sure and so many people have taken her comments to mean like oh well this means that Rachel Zegler um, is anti-feminist because she doesn't believe that some women should aspire to fall in love and be stay-at-home wives. And it's like, where the hell did she say that? She didn't say any of that. Uh She said, the story of Snow White's kind of creepy because these people don't know each other. And then he kisses her while she's passed out. Uh That is creepy. Like, if that's what your idea of love is, whoo, let's get you a therapist, baby girl. Yeah. Um, So... What I will give Dimitri above all else is that Dimitri is not interested in Anya slash Anastasia because she's beautiful, which she is. He is in love with her because she is as sharp-witted as he is, and she's the only woman he's ever met that can like match his energy and put him in his place. She gives him the sauce. She gives him the sauce. I love a woman who can give you the sauce. Same. That's so, why I married you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but okay. Here, here's a here's the thing that I'm gonna be a little bit of a stickler about, and it's so minor, and it doesn't matter, but it matters to me a little bit. Is is it that he has the 1990s butt cut hair that you hate? No, actually, it doesn't bother me as much when it's animated. I know, <laughs> like that that I can live with. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but it doesn't bother me as much because this is the ideal. This is what everyone thinks they look like. Mm-hmm. But like, it just most people just cannot pull it off in reality. I know, it's just not how it works. <laughs> but the, the here's here's my here's my slight sticking point is. 
the criticism of a lot of Disney movies is like, they met yesterday. Now they're in love. Very classic Romeo and Juliet kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus, fuck it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. romance, love it. Boom, bang, there we go. With this one, I was like, oh man, when they were coming from Russia to here, they were clearly traveling for weeks. Like her hair is longer. Nope, it was three days. Her hair's just down now, and I guess that's just what it looks like when it's not up in a hat. But like, I thought that was just like a – I was going to be like, that's a really clever way of just like showing the passage of time where she was like rough and tumble with her short hair. Nope. That wasn't a thing. Somehow they got from fucking Russia to Paris in three days with many setbacks. You know, just movie logic. Yeah, why not? I mean, we're already just operating under There's like magic. Com- complete There's an undead urban wizard legend in this. nonsense. Fucking Rasputin's basically the Undertaker. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Rasputin because this is no shade to like Vladimir or Dimitri, but like Rasputin's the more interesting character to talk about. So he in- has to be. It's a, he has to be a Disney villain. Yeah. So he, as a Disney villain, there are a couple things that I noticed about him this watch that I was like, huh. Well, that's interesting. Is that one? He has a very similar design to what we will later see in Disney's Meet the Robinsons with the bowler hat guy. Mm-hmm. The bowler hat guy is cut from a very similar cloth as Rasputin. And like, I don't know if that's intentional, but like, it's one of those things where it's like, Disney, were you dipping your pen into someone else's ink for this? I mean, I, I would believe it. And like, I love Meet the Robinsons. I, yeah. I know I'm alone on that island. That's I like fine. Meet the Robinsons. Um, but I was like, that's interesting. Um, but then the other thing is that looking at the, like like you said, the the death becomes her juice that he's just carrying around. And he on just a keeps chain. falling apart, and I was like, "Is this just death becomes her?" Yeah. So he's got he's got his like vial, and it's got like the magic green stuff in it, and there's like green magic that comes out of it. Like that looks a lot like um, stuff that you would see in Sleeping Beauty, which in turn looks a lot like the staff that Chris Pine holds in Wish. And I was Mm -hmm. like, hmm, okay. Uh, When the vial is rolling around in the ground before um, Anastasia stomps on it and breaks it open, the way that like the light panels come off of it looks a lot like Hocus Pocus. And I was like, huh, Okay, okay. There's just a lot of really similar visual effects. Like, it's got a similar color palette to, like, Be Prepared, but with less, like, goose-stomping hyenas. (laughs) Um, As he marches down, like, the H.R. Giger stairs with a lot of weirdly cutesy bugs. Yes, what is that about? (laughs) I don't don't know. Like, it's visually interesting. It just, again, it feels like a collision. Like, Mm -hmm. why is Rasputin this gross, gangly man who's literally undead and falling apart? And yet he's got like this snarky bat and cute large bugs. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like I like his design a lot. Um, I mean, the, the answer to this is just it's the Disney. Like, right, why, why I does know. Ha- why does Hades have like these goofy pudgy d- 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 devils voiced by Bobcat Goldthwait? <laughs> like that's just that's just what you do. That's just part of the formula. But what I also find very interesting is that like like Rasputin as a like figure like as a a folklore figure even though we know he's a real person Mm -hmm. the stories that are told about him range from like he was an evil magician bridge troll to rah-rah rasputin lover of the russian queen there was a cat that really was gone like so what in like you said earlier like there's rumors that he had like a huge dick too so it's Uh like so what and he was like what's happening here really hard to kill him right i don't know so it's there's a lot going on here and obviously this is all just gonna fly over the heads of most children watching this they just know that's a bad guy but as an adult i look back and i watch it and i'm like 
There's a lot of choices going on here with this character. And I do think Christopher Lloyd is fantastic. Oh, yeah. He's so creepy. He's using like a very similar voice as the one that he uses as like the scary transient in Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. the one who like lives on trains. Yes. Um, and uh, when he sings, it is very clearly not Christopher Lloyd. It's it very Jim clearly Cummings. Jim Cummings. <laughs> it, is, um, it is legendary voice actor Jim Cummings. <laughs> nobody in this movie does their singing voices. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jim Cummings is a good fit. Mm-hmm. I think the very clearly not Cusack voice is the most obvious one. Yeah. Because like we were sitting here going like, Okay, so obviously John Cusack's not singing here. Mm-hmm. What do you think John Cusack sounds like? And BJ just goes, "Oh, he's clearly terrible." <laughs> like, <laughs> That's, I'm not trying. I don't to know mean if Cusack can Cusack. sing. I just imagine that he's not up to like like a Broadway number type. I don't think his voice is for that. I think he's probably got a very inflexible voice. That's what I think it is. I think it ends up becoming uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, uh, in, singing in the Last Unicorn. Yes. Oh, no, he's got to be better than that. I don't know. Come on, that's really bad. That's mean. <laughs> like, I think that, like, Jeff Bridges, I, first of all, is young Jeff Bridges, which I think is an unfair mark against Jeff Bridges now. I feel like he could sing now way better than he did I in agree. The 80s. I think but so, too. Cusack knows how to emote. Like, he knows how to shout. Like, he has a great scream. You hear a lot of it in Con Air. He's got really great <laughs> tender moments in this one where he knows how to, like, soft speak in, like, a really, like, comforting, soft tone. Mm-hmm. He knows what to do with his voice. I just don't know if he'd be able to sing, but, like... When you're doing a musical number, you can do a character voice. You just can't be a romantic male lead and do that. Exactly. And Dimitri's singing voice is uh, a guy named Jonathan Dokachitz. He is a very, like, popular singer in terms of, like, animated stuff. Like, he sang uh, in the chorus in Pocahontas. So we've got that going on. Anastasia's singing voice is Liz Calloway. Um, She is also another person who sings quite a bit. She's Princess Odette in The uh, Swan Princess. She sang back up in Beauty and the Beast. She is the singing voice uh, for Princess Jasmine in all of the Aladdin sequels. And I think she also does the video games as well. Um, Like, this voice cast is actually, like, kind of nuts when you really think about it. Because... they threw a lot at this movie because they were like, this is going to be the one. Yeah. This is going to be the one that's going to that's gonna take off. And when you look at how they made it and the pedigree, like, right? Yeah. Like, the, the, the cast is so good. And, like, the marketing is so succinct and obvious and clearly tricked a lot of people into thinking it was Disney. So you just go, oh, there's a seal of approval on it. Well, like... It, it 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 had everything going for it to be successful. Yes. And we also have like there's two uh two names that were not quite huge yet, but they would be in the future. Both of the voices of the young versions of Anastasia. Uh one is Kirsten Dunst. That one's the most obvious one. And mm-hmm. this is I mean, she was a very, you know, big child star before she became, you know, Kirsten Dunst. Uh but Lacey Chabert, uh Gretchen Wieners is the other one. So like those are two people that, you know, do a lot on do a lot on our shows. Yeah. And also J.K. Simmons is somewhere in there. Yeah. J.K. Simmons is in here somewhere. Because he's a Broadway guy, which people don't realize. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm, he is. Um, there's there's a lot of really interesting voices going on here. I do want to bring up one voice because we talked about it a little bit on social media and people were debating it. But there is a, a voiceover performer named Charity James. Charity James uh, has done voices on like Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic and Galactic Battlegrounds. Um, she does a lot of voiceover work. She is also the um, Anastasia impersonator when they're trying to like find the Anastasia impersonator that does like the the grandma. <laughs> yes. Um, so my take on it, and I know you agree with me on this. 
is that that character's coded as trans, right? Like a I lot was of, like, at the very least, that's a drag queen. Yeah, like a lot she's, of she's people... Trying, she's trying to headwig her way out of Russia by pretending to be a lady. Like, Because a lot of people were like, I just thought it was like an old Hollywood, like Lauren Bacall kind of thing. That's how I always read it. Why would they be aghast then? Right. Because like they, they're kind of aghast and like, oh, brother. And they're like very also, not this is into it. pre-old Hollywood. Right. So yes, but like I mean, it's in a very anachronistic movie to begin with. Okay, fair enough, but, but still. But the reason that it feels coded in this way is because it's not like we're seeing a lot of auditions. It's the one. It's the one. So the only reason you would include the one is to make the joke, and the '90s loved that joke. Yeah. So that's why she reads as like, oh no, that's. That's a trans woman. Like yeah, that's like, I'm not bothered by it. She's quite fabulous. <laughs> oh yeah, she's great. Like she's she's a wonderful addition. But the fact that like she's the one that they're gonna just have one person in here and we're gonna make a big punchline out of it. And the fact that they both react as like, oh God. Mm-hmm. Um that's what makes me think. But no, there was definitely that's how pe- she's coded. There were some people who did not who were just like, I've never thought about this, and now my mind is blown. Or people just being, I don't think that's what happened. So like, you know, agree to disagree. Right. Because also the way I think about it is like, if I'm eight years old in the '90s, I'm not familiar with old Hollywood. I'm gonna hear that woman go, "Grandmama," and I'm gonna go, "Whoa," mm-hmm. and that's how it's gonna process to me as a child. Um, so interesting, so interesting. I mean, it's just, it's just a thing. <laughs> it's the '90s. Yeah, but this is basically just a road trip movie. I mean, it is. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's a Disney princess road trip movie. Which I'm not against. I love the stuff on the train. I think it's fun. I think the stuff on the train is fine. We're not there for very long. Um, Christopher Lloyd just really loves pushing trains into ravines <laughs> right. that's just a thing that he's done more than once <laughs> what what are you doing there bud <laughs> i don't know there's a lot of things that i really like about this where it's like man i mean i know we just did marie antoinette another fairly uh flexible historical piece about a tragic female figure and kirsten dunce is here um also we just did adam's family values and now here's christopher lloyd hanging out with a different cusack <laughs> yeah there's, there's a lot of little things like that that just lined up well in like the specific lore of our show, but uh-huh. like just there's some weird coincidences that I just think are funny. You know, you're totally right. Um, and going back to this cartoon research article, there's a couple other things I wanted to bring up that I really like. Um, so Maureen Donnelly, who was one of the producers, said in a 1997 interview, if you put aside most of the preconceptions and start taking it apart, we saw that there are a lot of stuff that covers the same ground as fairy tales, most especially in terms of abandonment and fear of abandonment and how we deal with that. It's something that's innate to the human condition that no soul on this planet escapes. And so when you look at the story of Anastasia from that lens, like I really like this decision for this movie mm-hmm. of, yeah, okay, sure, it's the legend. We're printing the legend here, yeah. which I don't have anything against. If you want to watch something historically accurate, read watch a, a documentary. Watch a documentary, read a book. Yeah, sure. um, that's not what this is for. But it is interesting because what that does in turn is kind of present this idea of like fairy tales can be real. Fairy tales can be something in your own life. And I think that having that magic established for kids is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I go back and forth. I feel like it's necessary to prepare kids for the realities, the harsh realities of the world. Sure. Totally. But at the same time, you have to also be able to remind them that there is magic. There is something to believe in. Because if you don't give optimism and hope, 
then what's the fucking point? Yeah. And so then you have this thing like Anastasia where you have this character that is so relatable and feels like a girl that you could be and knowing that like maybe there's something innately special about you that you don't know. That's cool. I like that. I like that as kind of a message because then, well, you know. Is, no wonder you like Meet the Robinsons. I fucking love Meet the Robinsons. This is all just being like, hey, you know what? You're <laughs> special. You can go ahead and find your family. Like. And it's, it's the same it's the same kind of vibes and then it's also got this message of like identity is what you make of it because she does learn the truth about her identity and she very well could just live in a palace for the rest of her life but that's not what she wants so it's like you can have this identity but like fate is not determined like mm -hmm. you can take control of that and that's also really really good messaging that I think is a lot stronger in this movie than it is in some of the other Disney princess movies no, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I think it's also just a matter of like what this movie is prioritizing versus other Disney princesses. Because you have to think at this time, um, we have like Jasmine, but Jasmine's not the star of her own movie. Mm -hmm. You have Pocahontas and she comes with her own set of All of, uh, of that problems. baggage. <laughs> um, so there's like, you really only have like four main Disney princesses outside of them in the original three and then Ariel. So she's way more active and like this is so much less of a romance for her mm -hmm. as like a as like a lead and like maybe, maybe that's just why i favor like the first half of this movie because it's so much less what the movie's about mm -hmm. um it has nothing to do with like oh there's action it has to do oh there's more comedy like that's not really so much it is just a matter of what like what it prioritizes mm -hmm. and i like i like where we end up i mm -hmm. guess that juxtaposition you kind of need to have her get sucked up in like the Disney magic and then choose not to be a Disney princess as it were mm -hmm. um, and pick like the obvious ending that you would see where like, Oh yeah, she gets the guy and then that's it. Yeah. So it's, it is a nice alternative to that. I wish we could have done it a little different, Agreed. But, but that's me as an adult, not the target demo analyzing this movie. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so the other thing to talk about with this movie is that this movie comes with music from David Newman. Ah, David Newman. Of the Newman dynasty. My, my second favorite Newman. After Randy? Of course, Randy. He's my third favorite. Oh, ow. Well, no, Randy's my number one. I'm oh, saying, okay. I'm saying Jesus. David. <laughs> I thought I was about to be like, what did Randy ever do to you? I was like, no, David's my third because I, I do prefer Thomas. Okay. Uh, that's just, I'm trying not to choose between my children here, but yes, yeah. I do go Randy, I Thomas, I love the David. Newman dynasty. I know. Uh, so for those that don't know, the Newman dynasty, um, they are a, f a very, very big family. Um, they are the most uh, nominated Academy Award family in history, um, which I think is wild. And it's pretty much exclusively for for music yeah. but it's if there's a newman and they're making music chances are they're related to each other yes and um, if i recall correctly randy's been nominated like 20 times mm -hmm. for like music at the academy awards i think he's only won like twice yeah he's not won nearly as many times as he as he should as he should have yeah um but yeah this is uh david newman he also does the music for uh, Heather's, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So like lots of stuff that we love. Um, but the problem is, I don't think the music in Anastasia is bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's fine. But you're competing in this time period against Howard Ashman. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, you kinda can't. Like this feels, <laughs> it feels a little dated. And the fact that the closing theme is done by 
post her 15 minutes of fame, Donna Lewis and Richard Marks. Yeah. Like I love I I love you always forever is like one of my favorite fucking like 90s jams. Like it is so fucking perfect. Like that outro. Oh my God. Just like inject that shit right into my veins. But also Donna Lewis, not not the best person to sell your movie on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think when you're going up against like the eclecticism of like Aladdin or Hercules or like the pristine music of Pocahontas, because aside from like the visuals, the music is one of those things that people go, yeah, that's what Pocahontas did. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, mu- yeah, yeah. the music is untouchably good. Yeah. Um, this this just isn't quite there. It's not as catchy. It doesn't have as much variety. Honestly, if you're going to make a Russian movie, probably should have had a little bit more Russian influences mm-hmm. in, in your things. That's just my opinion. Yeah, the music's just kind of fine to me. So the song Journey from the Past did get nominated for Best Original Song this year. Mm. I'm going to tell you the other songs that it was up against. Okay. So Miss Misery uh, from Goodwill Hunting by Elliot Smith. Mm-hmm. How Do I Live from Con Air by Diane Warren. That song's pretty fucking awesome. Come on. Go the Distance from Hercules. Mm-hmm. Oh, Alan Menken and sure. David Zippel. And the ultimate winner... My heart will go on. Oh, it didn't stand a chance. <laughs> Nothing stood a chance this year. It didn't stand a fucking chance. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I love, I love my, I love me some Con Air. Um, I think Hercules has, like, honestly, that would not have been the Hercules song I would have nominated. It would have been, um, it would have been Megara song, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's a clear fucking winner there, and it's Celine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's just really, really funny to me. I, I think that's also, like, a little emblematic of this movie is, like, I think that, like, you you have the powerhouse of Celine's vocals as, like, you know, something that was coming out this year. You have something a little bit more triumphant and large sounding in, like, Go the Distance. Mm-hmm. I don't think that these songs get as big as they should. Mm-hmm. I think they stay in a more gentle register. So something else that I find very interesting, though, is that this is when the Academy Awards was still splitting score between drama and comedy, which they don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this meant that Titanic and Goodwill Hunting, uh, they were out of contention for score. But for score, Hercules wasn't nominated. So it was up against my best friend's wedding, Men in Black, As Good As It Gets, and then the ultimate winter, winner, The Full Monty. So uh, like, I'll come out the Full Monty. Full Monty's really good. Yeah, okay, it's a great okay. score. Um, <laughs> but it is really interesting to be like, this animated film did do better than Disney in that category. In respects. Yeah, which I think is very, very good interesting. Good on you, David. 
Good on you, David. And for those wondering at home, uh, well, did it win Best Animated Feature? That category didn't exist yet. Yeah, Shrek would win that like four years later. Yeah, so it didn't exist yet. Um, I'm very curious if it would have. I don't think it would have beat Hercules. I don't know. I I mean... If I can just get on a soapbox for a second, get on your soapbox. Which I've been doing this whole. If you episode, shit on Hercules, though, like we're gonna, I'm, I'm not throwing shitting hands. on Hercules. Okay, okay, that's my baby. I'm not shitting on Hercules, <laughs> Hercules at all. Hercules is my baby. If I can get on a soapbox for a little bit here, yes. um, If you look at the like best animated features Oscars um, when they started doing them, most years they had like three movies nominated. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's something that was built on the backs of having so many films come out in the nineties that they felt it necessary to do it in 2001. Mm-hmm. But guys, like you should have done it in the nineties when it's certainly in America, there was like a wider range of stuff to choose from. I'm not saying I would have liked it, but Prince of Egypt probably should have won the year it came out. If that award existed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Pixar was already a thing. Disney was in their prime. Mm-hmm. That should have been a thing you were doing, but you didn't take it seriously. What else is new? So I did look up uh, what movies came out this year just to see. Um, and it's interesting. So Anastasia, obviously. Uh, there's also Babes in Toyland, the very cursed animated movie by Toby Bluth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Oh, it's so ugly. <laughs> Sorry, Toby. It's just, it's not cute. Uh, Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue. Beauty and the Beast, not- Enchanted Christmas. So like these like d- uh, direct to n- things. Neither of the Brave Little Toaster sequels are great. Yeah. Uh, Cats Don't Dance. Oh. Which I think. My heart. That that could have. M- music by Randy Newman mm-hmm. doing like classic Hollywood exactly in his wheelhouse. Yeah. I think that could have could have done something. Um, the, the one that I think is going to make you go, oh, it's that one. It's that one. I married a strange person. Oh, by Bill come Plimpton on. Comes out that, that is year. absolutely not getting nominated for shit. Um, I mean, granted, like some of his shorts, um, and I think the tune did very well when it came out. Um, if you're not curious, um, I married a strange person is by, uh, Maverick independent, uh, cartoonist, Bill Plimpton, who basically just made a bunch of cartoons at home by himself for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, it's kind of like America does Akira, but it is done by like a bogus cartoonist who's really, really kind of horny. <laughs> um, I married a strange person fucking rules. It would, should not have won, but give it a nomination. Absolutely. Why not? Here's, I got two more for you that absolutely would have taken out nominations. Cause I think it would have been, I married a strange person, Hercules, Anastasia, and then these two movies, probably the one that would have won princess Mononoke. I don't know. He he hadn't landed here yet. That's the one that put him on the map. I don't know if he would have been getting nominations yet. And the one that I would have pushed for, but would not have gotten it because it is a movie not for children. Satoshi Kone's Perfect Blue. Oh, I mean, <laughs> if you go international with that, which they should have, then those are absolutely the ones that should win. If we're sticking purely yeah. with like the American Academy appreciation for animation, which is mostly just our continent. I would give it to Cats Don't Dance because it's about old Hollywood and they love that shit. Yeah, Cats Don't Dance rules. Yeah. But you can't compete with Perfect Blue and Princess Mononoke. No, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> I'm not a fool. I'm yeah. just saying, like, the Academy probably would have ignored Japan and stuck strictly to North America. You're very right in that regard. And then I would just We're, be like, screaming. so off the beaten path. I know, it's We're fine. just gushing about how much we love 90s animation right now. And <laughs> There's so much good shit. God, I just... Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that we love animation so goddamn much. Mm-hmm. That's why we got to do the screen drafts thing for it. And like, 
we don't get to do animation nearly as much on this show. So just like give us this win. Give us this 10 minute chunk. <laughs> we just talk about other movies, please. All right. Well, we're going to get back on track. We're getting back on track and we're going to talk about. This, no, the train went off the tracks, BJ. OK, Moving you know, Rasputin just shoved <laughs> us off the track. OK, I do want to talk about the thing in this movie that you and I both universally go. Ugh. That fucking CGI at the end. I hate so much. I think it's so ugly. Um, Which one? Is it the, the, the gross stone pony that I has hand-drawn hair? I hate him so um, much. I think I don't he's love so that. ugly. Um, I don't love whenever they have to hold the music box. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't like, again, it's colliding things where like, I get why it is the way it is. But when you have these things together, mm-hmm. then they don't play well with each other. It's, Probably because we don't have like CRTs from the 80s anymore and we have adult eyes and we actually know like the structure of how animation is made. Like I it was fine in the time, but God, I really hate looking at towards the end of this movie. I go back and forth on how I feel about the tiara. Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, Ugh, it's too like crisp and that's weird looking because mm-hmm. it's really sparkly. And then other times I'm like, nah, I like that. I like that as like a, as a design choice. I think it's sometimes. really cool. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I don't want to talk about like shit that I don't like as much cause that's, there's no fun in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but before the film was released, uh, there was a massive promotional thing. And this is again, why I think so many people think Anastasia is a Disney movie because their approach to marketing this film was completely different than you would have ever seen from a non-Disney animated film. Do they get it into McDonald's? Oh, I think they did Burger King. Okay. Um, but they did get it into uh, fast food toys. Um, they had a float in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The, what was it, like the dog or something probably? I don't remember. I'd, I'd have to look it I up. I can't imagine it was Anastasia herself. That would have been weird. It was probably Bartok. It was probably Bartok. Yeah. yeah that's why he's there. Yeah. Um, so they had the, they had the float, uh, the soundtrack, cracked the Billboard Top 50. Uh, they released at the beginning as a single. Um, there were toys. I do remember the puka, like the dog as a stuffed animal mm-hmm. because it was so funny. Cause like the top of his head was always like fuzzy hair. Oh yeah. And then so he it meant it would go up and shit all the yes. time. Like he had wicked bed head. Um, the girl down the street from me had him. Yeah. He's so cute. I love the design of puka. I think he's so fucking I cute. I think he's cute. I don't know why he has like fl- Dumbo ears. Like he can sort of fly. Yeah, they're like real floppy, like kind of like but he can long like basset them. hound ears. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know, but I like his design. Um, he's mostly there to be cute. So here's here's the thing, though. When I read it, I was like, oh, my God. So this is a movie that came from Fox. And the year prior, mm-hmm. Fox had a very big release. And they used um, a larger marketing budget on Anastasia than they did for this film. Hmm. Independence Day. All right, then. Anastasia had a bigger marketing and like promotional budget than into fucking Pendence Day. They saw how much money Disney was making and went, cool, I want some of that. Like that blows my mind. Like a movie where you blow up the White House and there are aliens. One of the most iconic shots of the 90s. And fucking Will Smith in his prime. Are you like that got less money than an animated film? Well, see, like that, that never in a million years is that happening again outside of Disney. True. Never in a million years. Exactly. But like Independence Day, I think that movie sells itself. I mean, it kind of does. Yeah, like <laughs> that movie will sell itself. Anastasia to separate it from all of the other not Disney animated films of the day. T- like, there's a reason Anastasia made a shit ton of money and Fern Gully didn't. That's yes. Like, just as an example, like the marketing made it seem like a big deal. It's a can't miss kind of spectacle and if you miss it 
guess what? Here's all the toys to remind you that it's going to come to video. Mm-hmm. Like, I get why Anastasia was as big as it is. Yeah, I, I agree, too. Like, they, they, they made it as big as it is. Yeah. And so right before the film's release, this is back to cartoon research with this interview with Don Bluth. Um, this is Bluth touched upon kind of like the success of the artistry and the energy and the creativity and everything before the release. After making seven animated pictures, the thing I know is that you can never know what's going to happen, he said. With Anastasia, the one thing was the predictable. It was filled with serendipity, and the discoveries along the path of making this film were things I would have never imagined. Bluth found one of these surprises in the film's setting. Anastasia, not knowing she's the princess yet, makes a journey into Paris, which was a city just being born and awakening to new things, said Bluth, adding... So much was going on, which contrasted to the fact that Russia was a world dying and Paris was a world coming to life. All of these little nuances and currents began to surface, which gave something to us beyond just telling the plot points of the story. It's describing the world in an era gone by and finding what is there in that era that we can learn from. And like, if that is not the core of like Anastasia in kind of like the landscape of animation at the time, I don't know what is. Like Disney obviously was ruling the roost and they continue to like to this day. However, they're not the only game in town anymore. Mm -hmm. And Anastasia, like, you know, Bluth never saw success quite like Anastasia ever again. Mm -hmm. But he proved something with this movie that like animation, especially animation that's like family friendly or geared towards children, can exist outside the House of Mouse. Yeah. And that is good for everybody because it does also force Disney to get their shit together. Like right now- Competition is healthy. Competition is so healthy. Monopolies are not. And because like I'm thinking about, you know, the end of the year of, you know, what films are going to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't know if Wish should be there. And I really, really like Wish. You liked it more than a lot of other people I liked did. it way more than a lot of other people. And I think what it's saying is really beautiful. But then at the same time, it's like Nimona on Netflix was masterful. Spider-Verse, masterful. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's my favorite animated movie this year. I like am so mind-blown about how good it is. Yeah. But then you also have, you know, The Boy and the Heron. There's also Suzum. Uh, like there's... So many really, really good animated movies that came out this year. Elemental. Oh, my God. I loved Elemental. You, loved, you, you were there at Ground Zero talking about how everyone should see Elemental. Oh, and people were shitting on me like, it's not doing good. Burn. And I was like, Mm-mm, Slow burn. You Elemental did very well. Elemental fucking rules. And it's just like, and I like, I love all of these movies, but it's like, if I had to choose five, I think Wish would come in sixth. Mm-hmm. And that's not shade to it. Like, that's like, these are all movies that I would say are like. It will be nominated because it's Disney. and Well, they, of course. They have like an honorary seat at the table no matter what when right. it comes to the awards. But season. it's like all of these films range for me between like an eight to a 10 out of 10. Like, they're all very, very good. And to think that like Anastasia is Part of, like partially responsible for that. Certainly in this country, yeah. Yeah, be- especially in this country, yeah. Because you needed someone to prove there's more. Like it's you don't have to just live in the old world, and there's not necessarily something like bad or broken about the old world, but like there's something good. Like take the stuff that's good from Disney, make it your own. Take the stuff that inspired you, make something new. Mm-hmm. Or if you really want to, you know, be Anastasia and live in the palace and live that life as your birthright, do that too. 
but the, the 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 brilliance is that there are choices. Oh yeah. Like, and I think that's so cool. Well, especially with 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 choices and all of this. This is a far more contemporary princess than anything Disney was putting out at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a reality of it. Like, granted, Aladdin feels a little bit more like Las Vegas's inter- in- interpretation of, <laughs> of Aladdin's story than the like the actual historically appropriate <laughs> right, time right, period. Right. But yeah, like I don't know, Beauty and the Beast. That's probably what the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. This is like the nineteen twenties ish, give or yeah, nineteen ten. Yeah, no, nineteen twenties. You're right. Yeah, give or take, like. Coco Chanel exists in this universe. Right. <laughs> and she's pre, not pre, yet a Nazi sympathizer. Pre-sympathizing with the Nazis because they're not a thing yet. Coco Chanel exists in this universe. Like, that's how contemporary we're looking at as far as, like, this princess is concerned. Yeah. Um, we would not see someone in this time frame, I don't know, again, probably until Princess and the Frog. hmm And um, that movie deserved better. I agree. Also music by Randy Newman. Yeah. Again, playing, playing right into his strengths. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that this there's there's something contemporary to this that makes it feel more grounded in reality than than Disney stories are. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we kind of were grounded a little bit more on reality in this one. Honestly. I think so too. I like, think it would have set it aside a little bit better. Uh-huh. Um, you can still have it be magical, but without subscribing so intensely to Disney magic. I agree. But obviously that's what sells it. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's why it was able to be as successful as it was. Cause I don't know. Like, I think if you lose those elements, oh, yeah. you do lose a little bit I, of like the trickery. I understand why <laughs> it looks like this, why it's animated like this, why the story is what it is. I understand this movie, VJ. I know. You I do. completely get why I'm just saying in my heart, I want this character to be in a bit better of a movie. <laughs> well, and I think on that note, the time has come. Anastasia is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her ticket so she can go on her own? I'm going to send it on its own mm-hmm. because I think it's just fine. I think everything about it is, is it averages out to about fine. Mm-hmm. And like I have my strong feelings. I have some things that I have. I have, I have, I have some, some, some negative feelings. I have some strong positive feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to believe that hopefully my strong positive feelings came across a little bit more in this. I, I'm not, I'm, I try really hard not to be negative about this one. But, I know. But like there, there's a whole lot of nostalgia that's wrapped up in this movie whenever I talk to people about it, that mm-hmm. it's really difficult to actually dissect it. Well, yeah, because it sometimes. feels like you're kicking someone's childhood, which like that's not the point. The point is to assess these films you know, as cultural touchstones. Of course. And I am far more positive about well, this than you, but I don't I don't answer this question. Well, of course not. You have the fucking easy part. I know. <laughs> Everyone just gets mad at me and then yells at you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> On social media, because you run that shit. I don't. I know. <laughs> no one yells at us. You're very kind to us. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my feelings about it. It is not Bluth's best. Mm-hmm. Um it's up there, but I I, agree. I mean, by, by default, it might end up in fifth if I were to rank Blues movies. There's the three good ones, and then All Dog Go to Heaven, and then probably this. Mm, I'd put it at, like, three, maybe. I, I would. For me. Well, what is the three? Which one of the classic three are you knocking below Anastasia? How could you? Mm, I don't know. Okay. That's, that's an inside thought. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. Instagram, Blue Sky at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour, or Blue Sky at my name, Harmony Colangelo. 
And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what artist do you want people to check out this week inspired by Anastasia? So I needed something to be sort of in like so sort of in like a piano family, somewhere in a, a bit of a of a gentle, soulful family, I, I think, you know, to, to go with the Donna Lewis of it all. So the person I'm shouting out this week is Ruby Archer. Um, I think there's an author from like the 1800s with that name. That's obviously not who we're plugging. We're plugging like an 18 year old singer songwriter. Uh, the way I was pitching this to BJ is that if you combine like Nora Jones with Linda Perry and they sing in like what what is it that 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 Billie Eilish like cursive, cursive singing. singing that's that's cool with the kids right now that's kind of the vibes you end up here um, a lot of gentle piano very very soulful kind of funky numbers at times but mixed with like angry guitars and really strong lyrics like pretty 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 tight this is a release that just came out uh, well I guess it would be last month now because it came out in late November but like if any of that sounds good to you I think that that this is, would be totally right up your alley I love that. So once again, that is Ruby Archer. I think she's Australian too. Okay. Which is cool. Love that. The album is oh so tender if you're curious. Ooh. (laughs) Alrighty, y'all. We will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.